0: San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. Tom Steenstra might have the coolest job on the planet. He's a Chronicle columnist who hardly spends any time in San Francisco, and he's celebrating a big anniversary, 40 years on the job. He's sharing some wild stories from his career today, including the time his brother saved his life after a canoe accident and the time a wild cow charged right at him. He also has tips on where to go to explore the great outdoors during the coronavirus pandemic without facing huge crowds. Welcome to the podcast, Tom Steenstra.
1: Good to be here. It's like a campfire talk.
0: (laughs) It is. Uh, Congratulations on your 40th anniversary at The Chronicle. How does it feel to hit that milestone?
1: It goes so fast when you're on the road all the time. You know, my truck has 407,000 miles on it right now.
0: Oh, my gosh! How long have you had the truck?
1: Not that long. Remember, it's not how you look. It's what you got under your hood.
0: <laughs> Words to live by. Um, I think you might have the coolest job on the planet because you get to write columns for a big city newspaper without spending hardly any time in the big city. So that's a pretty good combination in my book. Uh, how did you get the job originally?
1: Well, i uh, I was a sports writer, and uh, one day I was in Green Bay, Wisconsin, covering the Oakland Raiders. And I looked down at the field and I saw 70,000 people in need of a hike watching 22 guys in need of a rest. And I <laughs> said, I go, I'm on the wrong side of the playing field. I want to be in the game. And, uh, I always have loved to travel, hike, camp, fish, boat, everything. I want to see every place. And, uh, So I quit that job, I headed off in my pickup truck, all I had was an old pickup truck, my dog, a fishing rod and a canoe, and uh, just started writing about the things I'd done and places I'd been, and uh, next thing you know, I got this job at the San Francisco Chronicle.
0: Wow. So were you freelancing originally when you took off in your truck?
1: Yeah, I was actually going to write a novel, but every time I went down to write, I would go fishing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. And did you grow up around Northern California or where are you from originally?
1: Yeah, I was born in the Midwest, but my family moved to the peninsula when I was very young. I grew up on the peninsula and I worked as a sports writer for the Palto Times and Peninsula Times Tribune before making the launch to San Francisco.
0: Got it. And how did you sell Will Hurst on an outdoor writing column or did he like the idea right away?
1: Well, as you probably know, most writers who have compelling stuff are a little bit off, and I definitely <laughs> qualify. Um, he hired a Warren Hinkle, the guy with the eye patch, and uh-huh. Hunter Thompson and me all at the same time. And he looked at looked at me along with my two other bosses and said, "Go create a stir." One time I was in the office and my boss came out and said, "What are you doing in here? Get out there and tell us what you're <laughs> seeing." He one time he called me in and said listen, whatever you do, don't try too hard. Your thinking is so different and what you're seeing is so unique. Just tell us what you're seeing and doing. That alone is enough to get readers. And that's what I've been doing for my whole career.
0: Well, you're very good at that. So congratulations. How often do you come into San Francisco and into the newsroom? I can't remember if we've ever actually met in person and I've been at the Chronicle for more than 20 years. So I know you don't come in. That often,
1: yeah, it drives it's driven some people crazy. But uh, <laughs> I come in every once in a while, whether I need to or not, just to check in and see everybody's the looks on their faces. Like, who is that guy? And uh, yeah, but uh, s- some years it's been quite a while. One time, the editor was Phil Bronstein, and uh, he called me in, and we were sitting there, and we talked about future stories. And then he says, uh, "So, how often do you think you should come into the office, Tom?" And I go, oh, that's why I'm here. And we all laughed like heck. He pulled out some mail that had been sent to me and it was all post-dated with the date. And so he said, you haven't been here for nine months. (laughs) (laughs) And then he said, so uh, how often do you think you can come in? I go, I don't know. What do you think? And he goes, how about every two months? I go, okay, I can do that. And he goes, oh, I settled for too little. (laughs) Anyway, it's changed over time. It just depends on what's necessary.
0: Yeah. What do you think of San Francisco when you do come in? It's very different from where you spend most of your work days.
1: Yeah, it's like a, like having grandkids. It's a great place to visit. I love, I love <laughs> in fact, I love Los Angeles too. I just don't want to live there.
0: Yeah. Where do you live?
1: <laughs> I live out in the remote wilderness of Northern California, and uh, adjoining me is about, oh, 50 miles of wilderness where we can Mm -hmm. walk straight out of our back door and just keep going.
0: That's amazing. Um, So how do you decide where to go and what to write about on a day-to-day basis? Because you seem to have pretty, you can do pretty much whatever you want, right?
1: Well, the great thing is I have a network of about 800 field scouts. So I'm always being, people are always reporting to me, what is the latest thing going on? So I have tried to set my stories, adventure stories around news pegs. And so you get both. You get news, you get the outdoor experience, and you get what do you do the coming weekend. That really works well. And so uh, just for this weekend, I have about six different field scouts set up to report to me about the crowds at different areas for 4th of July weekend. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I'll be heading out into the wilderness myself for at least a day just to be completely by myself, pull in my resources, and then get ready for the next big project.
0: Okay. And at what percentage of your time would you say is split between writing at home and actually being outside and on your adventures? Well, a
1: lot of my stories have been written from my truck or picnic oh. sites. Um one year I I got uh, I won first place in America for Outdoor Writer of the Year with a, for a story about kayaking in Monterey Bay where the humpbacks were jumping all around me and I I got in my truck and wrote the story and the sports editor, Al, called me and said, how did you ever think of that opener? I go, what? (laughs) The opener was, the smell of whale breath was in the air. (laughs) He goes, how would you ever think of that? I go, well, I was sitting there and I could smell whale breath. (laughs) 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 When they exhale from eating anchovies, it smells just like, kind of like fermented Brussels sprouts. And so (laughs) it's like, The thing I've learned about writing about the outdoors and communicating the outdoor experience, the most important thing is getting out of the way. The least important thing is saying the word I. I've never started a story in my career with the word I, 40 years. Mm
0: -hmm. Wow. So you've gotten whale breath into your lead, but not I.
1: That's right.
0: That's pretty good. Good going. You have a fascinating story on sfchronicle.com right now about 10 life and death moments in your career, and it seems like you could make several blockbuster movies out of those. Why do you think so many interesting and dangerous things seem to happen to you?
1: When you spend your time out there most of the time, some years I've been out 200 days a year, sooner Uh or later you're going to run into trouble, and it seems to (laughs) find me. Just make sure you have a net.
0: Did things like this happen to you when you were a kid also or did it really just come with the career?
1: Yeah, my mom told me one time it just seems like you ever noticed things seem to happen to you, Tom? And <laughs> they sure do. I'm just yeah. I'm just happy she didn't give me away to the circus.
0: <laughs> did you get in a lot of trouble growing up?
1: Yeah, I was the kid that got called into the principal's office. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What were your transgressions? Well,
1: one uh, principal called me a misguided missile. I always had too much juice, too much energy, (laughs) and no place to channel it. And and then the other thing is, when I started doing something, I never wanted to stop. I wanted to be a professional baseball player. I wanted to be a great guitarist. And uh, when it comes to hiking, riding, fishing, I don't get tired of it, I just keep going. When I go for a hike, I might wanna go for 200 or 300 miles. Same with on the wow. on the road. Uh, it's nothing for me to drive 11, 12 hours. I'm, I'm just built that way. Same with writing, I can sit down. And uh, one time I went to Cuba and without any notes, wrote a 10,000 word series in uh, two days. And, oh my goodness. and it's not it's not really that unique, it's just I'm built that way. I can just keep going, I go into the tunnel, Nothing deflects me. It drives my bosses crazy because I turn my phones off and nothing gets mm-hmm. in. People phone me. One guy called uh, my last <laughs> executive editor and said, um, Did you turn your phone off again? <laughs> <And> I go, <laughs> Yep.
0: <laughs> wow. I think I should do that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. That's a good tip. I
1: go into the tunnel, nothing gets in. And it's whether, whatever it is, it's whether I'm, I'm hiking, riding, Fishing, mm-hmm. we get into the tunnel, and that's all we do. One thing, as deep as it'll go.
0: What's the longest hike you've ever done?
1: I went from uh, Mount Whitney to Yosemite uh, Valley, and then that was so great. I actually went through some PTSD from being around people, and uh, an issue for me. And then um, we ended up taking a break, and then we went from Yosemite to Tahoe uh, because we just had to keep going. Another, another, another trip. Uh, I don't know exactly how many miles that is on the Pacific Crest Trail. I went a couple of hundred miles on that one too, where we went from uh, basically through the Trinity Divide through the Trinity Alps, Russian Wilderness, Marble Mountains, came out at uh, Highway 96 and Greider Creek. And uh, same thing, a lot of people, when they get back to their car, they're so happy, they can hardly wait to turn on their phones And find their messages and see what their friends are saying. With me, it's just the opposite. When I get back to my truck, I have a little bit of, I go through a little depression period like, oh, I'm done for the time. And if I don't have another trip to look forward to, it really, really puts me in a spiral. So one of the keys to the outdoors for me and for almost everybody is you have to have something to look forward to, no matter what you've just done.
0: Yeah. So do you always have a next trip plan before you go on? Always On the one you know scheduled for now. Yeah, yeah,
1: and I'm fortunate. my wife is just like me. We're like dogs. We have to go for a walk every day.
0: Uh-huh. How long are your daily walks?
1: Uh, we do a minimum three miles, and uh, we often bike 15 to 20 miles. and uh, one of my hobbies is tracking wildlife, and it's really fun for me to just head out and uh, see if I can find a bear often can and uh, i love sneaking up on them you get about 15 20 feet away and you just stand there and you go boo at a very and they <laughs> they get so scared and they go running off hurtling through the forest
0: wow that is something i have never done and probably never will
1: yeah i've snuck up on a lot of them and uh, i've probably seen five six hundred bears
0: oh my goodness i'll be right back with tom steenstraff Well, I love the story that you have on that list of 10 most crazy things that have happened to you um, about your brother saving your life after a canoe accident. Can you tell our listeners about that one?
1: Yeah. Well, the editors asked me to write a story about what are the 10 most provocative encounters that I've ever had. And I think they thought they were going to hear about, you know, expeditions and world record fish, searching for Bigfoot. But what I have found when you're giving a talk around a campfire, Those aren't the things that people care about. They care about the life and death encounters that you have and what happened. And uh, there was one trip we made. It was in late fall, early winter in uh, the Cascades of Oregon at Hills Creek Reservoir. It was really cold. And it was just about icing up along the shore of the lake. And I had dropped my brother off. He was at the front of my canoe. And I went paddling across this large cove to pick up my brother-in-law And there's a stroke called an Ojibwe stroke or a J stroke where you pull the paddle back and pull it off to the right, just like the shape of a J. And that's how you can paddle a canoe straight without paddling on both sides of the canoe. You can just paddle on one side and keep it in a straight line. And when I pulled it, I flipped the canoe right over because without anybody in front, it was misloaded. And um, there I was in the middle of the lake um, for a they said I was disoriented for 10 minutes. It went so fast because what happened, is that water was so cold, it was just shocking me into incoherence. And it uh, doesn't matter if you have flotation, your life preserver, that water will set you into hypothermic and will paralyze your legs. Well, I did that, get the canoe turned upside down where I got on top of it to keep me up. And the next thing I know, my brother jumps in takes his clothes off, jumps in, swims out to me, and together we pulled that canoe into shore. And when they pulled me out, my legs did not work anymore. I was completely oh, wow. paralyzed, basically. I just wanted to go to sleep. And my brother was aware that I was hypothermic and started slapping me in the, in the face, insulting me. and uh, And then the next thing I know, I start coming out of it. And that's when I got cold. And that's the thing I learned is when you go down for the count twice, I stopped feeling cold. I felt good out there, even euphoric, like everything was fine. Whoa, when you feel that, that means you're close. Well, anyway, we turned the canoe over and believe it or not, there was a paddle and the fishing rod my grandfather gave me when I was 11 years old. And My brother said, you know what this means? This means you're meant to paddle and fish again. And I looked at him later that night, and I said, you know, you saved my life. And he said, maybe we had somebody looking out for us the whole time, meaning my, my grandfather. Yeah, and, I love that. And we've shared that our whole life ever since. It's kind of like a subliminal thing. We don't talk about it that much. But I tell you, we always know that that happened. He saved me. Wow. I would have gone wow. down that day.
0: That's great. I also was wondering if you can share that um, wild story of being charged by a cow.
1: Yeah, the the night that I uh, told this story for the first time, I didn't think much about it. I was in a campfire circle with a bunch of Boy Scouts, and I told them the story of when I was charged by a wild cow. That's the one that they tell their, they tell their parents. That's the one that nobody can quite believe. And this was in Northern California in issue Wilderness. That's east of Red Bluff. Red Bluff. The headwaters of Payne's Creek and Milk Creek, it's some of the most remote uh, foothill wildlands, really in the Western United States. And uh, there's an area called Black Rock, that's a big staging area. Well, not big, but it's a a known staging area by a handful. From there, I headed off into the wildlands, and I was hunting wild pigs with a black powder rifle that I had built, just like Daniel Boone. So I'm out there, and uh, I found myself exploring half caves instead, on the watershed, and I found a series of Indian mortars, which is very cool, and then in one, there were three wild pigs, and I didn't have a chance with a black powder gun to get ready to fire or anything, and they were too close, and they came right at me. It turns out they weren't charging me. They just ran right past, and the third, by the third one, I realized they just wanted to get away. I swatted it right on the butt and let out a big, yeah, and it goes, Oink! <laughs> so funny. Right, so, a couple hours later, um, I sighted about 250 yards out off this huge wild cow. Uh, who knows how long it it been out there? If it was offspring from other steer, but uh, I didn't think much of it. I've seen a few of them over in my days over the time. And uh, anyway, another hour or two went by, and I, I looked up, turned. There he was, about 30 yards off. Staring and snorting right at me, and uh, I, to scare him off, I uh, put a percussion cap on my my black powder rifle, let out a big old blast. A huge cloud of blue smoke went up. That cow I named him Big Dumb and Stupid because he just stood there looking at me. I shot right in front of him, and he didn't even phase him at all. And uh, so I I avoided him. I went off. And then uh, the next thing you know, here he comes. And a, a wild cow is more dangerous than a grizzly bear because at least with a grizzly bear, there's a thought process going on in his brain. No, this this cow, there was no thought at all. He was just coming right at me. He was thundering at me. It's like bigger, as big as a moose, just giant. And the next thing you know, I figure he's going to veer off. No, he's coming. I had to jump behind this rock to avoid him. He did everything but slap me in the butt as he went by.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Well, I will let um, readers find the other eight amazing stories online, but I had to ask you to share those too, because those were my favorites. Um, it seems like our current misery of the coronavirus and economic shutdown is making people more appreciative of the outdoors than ever. Are you sensing that as well? That people are appreciating kind of the the simple joys of getting out for a hike or going to the park or taking a bike ride?
1: Absolutely, everybody's ready to bust loose. They're going crazy being confined. People aren't used to it. They get out of their their bubble, and uh, there's like they can finally take a big deep breath of air. The problem is. 95% of the people are going to 5% of the spots. It's mm-hmm. like my whole theme is join my 5% club. Don't. I <laughs> mean, if you were to write down every single recreation destination you know in the Bay Area, how many would be on your sheet of paper? Mm-hmm. Well, there's three three 350. I did the Chronicles Outdoor Tracker, which we track what's open and closed in the Bay Area. There's 300, more than 350 sites, and it's mm-hmm. like among those, you're going to find places where there are isn't a big crowd. And when you take that same exact concept and expand it all across California, a whole nother world opens up. At one time early in my career, I was actually thinking of quitting because I thought I'd been everywhere. And I'd been offered a job to be, an out, to be the lead outfitter at a lodge in the uh, Arctic Circle. And uh, wow. so, so it was part of that because I, I had the guide skills and Um, could find fish. So it was uh, part of the process was I had to learn how to fly a plane. The first time I took off and started flying around the Bay Area and then Northern California, it was amazing to look down and see all these places. I had no idea existed. There's almost 400 lakes you can drive to in Northern California. There's another couple thousand you can hike to. There's 1,400 campgrounds. There's another 300 campgrounds that are just short walks from trailheads, and when you put that together, there's no reason to be a prisoner of hope when you head out on vacation or a getaway. There's lots of places to go. It's just look at your list. How many lakes do you? How many lakes do you know? How many lakes do you know in the Bay Area? There's more than 50. Wow! How many? I definitely parks? haven't
0: been to 50.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah. It's been my job. To go to everyone, I mean. So,
0: if a listener wants an idea for somewhere to go that's off the beaten track, can you throw out a few ideas now?
1: That's right. I the past week I've done a couple of these stories um, for vacations. Uh, all the major campgrounds and parks and national forests where they're they're on the reservation grid, those are all booked. Those are known. People are there. There's another 300 places, about 250 to 300 campgrounds, and then another 50 trailheads with very short walks to lakes that, that are instead really like the promised land. There's five major areas in California that have more than anywhere from 10 to 40 lakes within short range. Many you can drive right to. The Highway 88 and the Carson Pass area, the Crystal Basin, the Bowman Lakes Recreation Area, the Lakes Basin Area, also called Cold Lakes Area, and the Trinity Divide of Northern California. In the Trinity Divide, there's 50 lakes. Wow. It is, it's not designated wilderness. It's accessible by forest roads. It's These are the kind of places where you can put like a kayak or a canoe on top of your rig, your camping gear in the back, and never want to come back. Guess yeah. what? Because that's just, I know that, because that's just what I've done.
0: Yeah. And what is your favorite way to spend a day in California?
1: (laughs) It depends what day of the year it is. (laughs) Uh I can tell you that there is something world-class to do in California every single day of the year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, I have to say that uh, one of my favorite things to do is to hike to a remote mountain lake, just sit there and watch the sunlight change the inflection of the landscape minute by minute during dusk. That's one of my favorite things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I pretty much everything we have, we have something that's really, really special. In my hiking book, just in the Bay Area, I have forty hikes rated ten. You know, wow. that's really cool. And most people, yeah. you know, I've rated my uh, two hundred favorite hikes. Um, most people have only done a handful. And they only know of a few places. It's like, get out of that bubble. There's a whole big world out there. You know, the reason people think this way is from the way they drive, because you're. it's like you're in this tunnel where all you're aware of are the brake lights ahead of you and the bumper behind you. And everybody push, push, push all the time. Next thing you know, all you're aware of is this tunnel on the highway. If you could just get, up, like in a helicopter or an airplane or a glider, and just look down at what's just over the hill, you'd be amazed at what's available right in the Bay Area.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a great note to end on, and you've inspired me to find some new places to go explore. So, thank you for joining me today, and congratulations on 40 years!
1: Yeah, and I'll see you out there!
0: Great! Thank you so much! Thank you to Tom Steenstra for joining me today. To King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening.